Anita, how's your mental health? <laughs> Questionable <laughs> at all times. You know this. Yeah. How's the mental health of your children? Um, also a little bit tricky. Can I tell you my experience in trying to find therapists for myself and my kids, Mel? Yes, please. Okay. This is how it goes. You ask around your friends and your family for a referral for somebody who's nearby. You finally find somebody who sounds like they might work for your family. You give them a call and you find out that A, they're not accepting new patients or B, they have a huge wait list. So you start over again and you ask people if they know anybody who would be a good therapist and a good fit. Finally, you find one, you go and you meet with them and you figure out that you don't actually like them that much. But it's been so much work to find somebody who you can go to in your area that you're kind of stuck with them. Well, do you have any ideas for how to get around this? Um, I do, because guess what? I've actually had some therapists that I have found on my own, which involves what you're saying. Sometimes I remember one time I was like three hours in the bathtub on my phone looking through yeah. websites. I was such a prune at the end. But I have also had the experience with working with BetterHelp and it was like, I, I don't want to say too good to be true, but because it is true, but it's like amazing because I was matched with my therapist within 24 hours. And you didn't have to go through all of that other ridiculous process of trying to find somebody. And here's the cool thing too, is if that person didn't work out for you, you can just switch and say, and it's not like you're committing to another years long search for somebody who you're going to jive with. It's true. And I lucked out or maybe just BetterHelp is really good at matching people together because I never had to change my therapist. I loved her. Perfect fit for me. And I know that some of our friends have used BetterHelp and they've had to change therapists and boom, same day can change. Easy peasy. You can ghost your therapist. <laughs> Get a new one. I love this idea. BetterHelp is one of our sponsors. If you use our promo code, trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN, you get 10% off your first month and we totally recommend it. Yes. Get some therapy. That's <laughs> trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN. What do you think we're going to talk about today, Anita? String cheese. Yes. And other food. Cheese. Oh, other food. Yeah. I don't know. I'm kind of jealous of your cheese right now. <laughs> Making me feel hungry. Well, let's talk about food. 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 Oh, food. Isn't it interesting how our relationship with food changes after we experience loss? I think it's very complex and annoying. I would never have guessed that it would be such an issue or even a factor before I went through my own grief experience or am going through my own grief experience. What, what's your experience been so far? So I know that a lot of people have um, different experiences and for me, of course, right after your person dies, there's that period where food is just really weird. Like you have no appetite. You don't want to eat. It makes you feel sick to even think about eating anything. Um, people have to force you to eat. And um, after that period, I find that 
I don't have issues with appetite, like I know some people do, but food to me is um, very tied to memories and it's an emotional, it's an emotional thing. So that's more where I am, um, just food bringing back memories and wanting to avoid certain foods or wanting to have certain foods because they remind me of Jason. I remember right after Jason died, two food related things that I want to tell you. One was that on Saturday mornings, Jason would go swimming at six in the morning and they did a long swim on Saturdays and he would come home and he would always make himself four Eggo waffles. Okay. Four. <laughs> four Eggo waffles. And then he would eat the Eggo waffles and the kids would come and he would like, let him have bites of his, you know, Eggo waffles. So there was like a lot of memories with stupid Eggo waffles. Well, right after he died, um, I don't remember who made the waffle, but somebody made an Eggo waffle <laughs> and I was so upset and so distraught. I took the waffle and I opened the front door and I chucked the waffle out the front door. <laughs> and then beware I closed the door. Beware of flying waffles. Not you, no, I, was, I was like, people have got to think that I've lost my mind, which yes, I had, but that waffle had so much emotion and memory and sadness tied to it that I just couldn't even deal with the waffle. <laughs> so silly. You want to hear mine? Yeah. Mine has gone from one extreme to the other. Okay. Tell. So like you explained, yes, when you first found out that Jason died, you couldn't eat anything. Well, then I ate everything. Sugar. Mm, yeah. I want to say that took about two weeks. I couldn't eat anything for like about a week and a half to two weeks. And then it was like, oh, lucky charms. Oh, pie. Oh, cookies. <laughs> yes, oh, please. Blizzards from Dairy Queen. It was wild. So I've never, ever in my life been an emotional eater. And Scott was 100% an emotional eater. And I always would say, Scott, you have got to stop. Like, you're going to die one day. Spoiler alert. I won. I was right. <laughs> and he, I, I didn't really relate because I always could stop. And I know that's maybe not common. Yeah. Oh, don't worry. It changed. <laughs> so I found myself for the first time in my life, eating my feelings. I think when I went through my divorce or bad things in my life up until Scott had died, I just would not eat because I'd be so stressed out. I would eat what I could, but I think my body would metabolize it a certain way. And like, I would get skinnier. And now it, this was just too big. And so the only thing that helped my brain to feel better was the sugar. So I ate everything. I, I ate Lucky Charms three times a day. I don't regret one single bite. If it all happened again, I would do it the same because I feel like it really helped my emotions. But then I started feeling after probably a year and a half or so, two years, maybe I started getting like inflammation pain. And so I had to adjust my diet. Well, what I found out is when you take sugar out of your diet, you also feel very sad in your brain. So I found myself at this crossroads where I either could mentally be a little bit better by eating sugar or physically a little bit better 
by not eating sugar. And it was hard. And then I got really, really depressed. So I, I feel like the sugar and all that kind of helped me to cope. And then when I started having to make that decision, now that was taken away. And so I want to say for a good year, I just walked around and was like, I can't deal with life. I hate it, but my body feels better. And this is my choice. Well, now it's evened out, but it really did take a really, really, really long time. And now what I found is because I don't use that sugar or things like that to help my brain feel better. I have a hard time eating or relating to food or caring about food and new development. I want to say in the last eight months or so meat, not all the time, but like, sometimes I'll be eating something like with meat in it. And it just starts feeling like I need to go throw up. Like the texture has bothered me. And, and it's interesting. Cause I thought I was the only one in the situation. And, and several months back in our widow wife's club, we talked about this and I found out that there are a lot of people that struggle with under eating. Mm-hmm. And so we actually did a little experiment. We called it the food buddy group and And we learn throughout just putting ourselves through the experiment and connecting with each other, of course, that it's tied to emotions and grief, but yeah, it's hard. And then there's a lot of stress in our bodies. And so we found out that our throats were tight and our stomach was tight because of the stress and the grief and the trauma. And so our bodies go through all sorts of things. So now at this point, I'm three and a half years out. I have to still remind myself to eat because I forget or I feel sick about food still. It's so interesting because I still just like to eat licorice for everything. And I often say that my children's lives have been saved by me sitting in the garage eating chocolate. So I am definitely an emotional eater and I definitely use food to make myself feel better. And I do not have to remind myself to eat. I have to be like, whoa, you're not going to be happy if you eat all of this food. Like it's going to have negative consequences in the end. So, yeah. so Amita, but you're a marathon runner and a triathlete. So if you didn't do those things, it would I be think bad. it'd be a lot worse off, but I overeating is a big one mm-hmm. for it's, a lot of it's our interesting widow how it's, oh, it's like very few of us can get it right. It's either over or under or just a a change in our relationship with food. For instance, um, I used to love to cook and I would spend a lot of time figuring out menus and um, looking online for different recipes and really being excited about new foods and trying new recipes and new cultures. And um, that has gone away almost 100% because my kids, the reason that it was so fun was that Jason was along that on that ride with me, right? I would make something new and it'd be like a fun adventure and it'd be like, oh, this is yummy or like, oh, that was really bad or whatever. And um, now that it's just me and children and the children don't appreciate that, they're like, where are the chicken nuggets? It's been like, it's completely gone. I have no pleasure in cooking or um, trying new recipes or anything like that. And even eating out and trying new restaurants gone because who do you go to a new restaurant with? I mean, no, but, but But I'll be like, that has meat in it. And I feel gross now, but your, your date buddy, your partner is gone. And I know that a lot of people have expressed 
similar feelings, except for if, if you don't have kids or if you're an empty nester, it's like, why am I going to make food? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cooking for one, which I'm not a stranger to, because I was single a lot of my life. Yeah. And so I remember those times where I was like, okay, this is hard. There's not two people. And then I kind of, you know, moved through that, but then it's like, Scott and I actually planned where we wanted to live based on the proximity to a certain store that had all the good cheeses and all the good like gourmet things. Cause Scott was also a chef. He was a culinary genius. He was a foodie. Yeah, totally. Actually, I feel like you and Scott would have gotten along great. I know I'm so mad sometimes because we would have decorated cookies and cakes and we would have eaten all the food. And Yeah. Like one time I'm like, he's like, I'm going to make you a salad. I'm like, great. I was expecting just like lettuce and dressing. It's like two hours later, here's a cedar plank smoked salmon on the such and such with Marcona almonds. And I'm like, whoa, like that. And so I've noticed recently, like I didn't tie the two and two together, but even going to a grocery store is hard for me because that was an adventure for me and Scott and that mixed with the adventure of food. It's, it's survival at this point, but then we deal with feelings of, do I want to survive? I mean, I do, you know, we've discussed passive suicidality um, in our, in our group and, and sometimes on the podcast. So these are very real things. It just, it's like taking the fun out of it. However, I'm proud of us, Anita. You know why? No, we eat tacos together sometimes. And that is a new thing. I mean, I've always liked tacos, but it's become more of an adventure, like find the tacos, eat the tacos. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a fun new thing, but by and large, I feel like food has become just like a really weird, weird thing. And there's a lot of, my dad is calling me right now. He does not believe in text messaging. Will he Skype you? He might, he will, I guarantee he will call me back three times in the, in while we're recording. Cause he does not take no for an answer. Do you need to answer it? Let's, let's see what happens. Okay. Um, I'm eating my cheese while you do this. this okay. My breakfast. Oh, man. Um, the thing about it though, that is really tricky is that food is fuel for our bodies. And so it's not really optional and eating too little is not great. Cause we're not fueling our bodies. And then eating crap is not great. Cause like for me, you just said, you know, I run a lot. I swim a lot. I bike a lot <laughs> and I'm not fueling my body properly. And I feel that sometimes, but it's like, I'm just in survival mode half of the time, not half of the time, 92% of the time. Yeah. So it's hard. I do have to say when I was, when I am mountain biking with you, my body does require more carbs maybe than I normally have. And so it tells me that I need to eat more. And so in those instances, it kind of helps me Mm -hmm. out, but yeah, I feel like a lot of us live in the extremes. Yeah. Balance is hard. Do you have any foods that have really strong emotional ties to them that when you eat or when you come upon them, they're a little bit triggering or upsetting or make you feel sad? Hmm. I want to say all of the things that I cannot eat anymore because of the inflammation, um, those definitely would probably trigger me 
because Scott was also a baker, you know, in his culinary madness. So I can see how I would maybe see certain foods and feel like that. I think even more than the foods, it's like going to the store, the the one that we would always go to, which you and I have been to before. And so now it's kind of helped me to maybe add new memories to that. But yeah, yeah, even like Scott was so into cheese and cheese does not trigger me. Thank goodness. Cause what would I eat? I don't know. But just going to like the cheesemonger and, and trying out different cheeses or looking at them, like that experience, I would say it was difficult, but now I'm, I feel like I'm doing okay. What about you? Yeah, there's a long, long list of things that when I think about them or when we eat them, they cause like a feeling of longing, um, like Eggo waffles, <laughs> like they're silly. Orange Julius, Jason always used to make Orange Julius. And um, right after he died, my little brother, he was like trying to figure out something for me to eat. And he's like, what about an Orange Julius? And I just started sobbing. And he was like, what did I do? You know, and he you didn't ruined my life, Brent. I know it was really funny. Um, ribs. Jason loved to eat ribs, and so whenever we have those, I feel a lot of like uh, sadness. Um, and some of it is because I wish that he could enjoy those things also, and he's not getting to enjoy those with me. So, yeah, yeah. a lot of food memories. With Scott, he loved chocolate. I swear chocolate is what killed him. I swear. Um, But we included it in his funeral because he was so into treats and food, like everybody knew it, that it would be inappropriate to not have treats at the funeral. So we actually had these uh, little chocolate caramel ball things in bags that we had available for everybody at the funeral. And you I had, you had funeral favors. Yeah, totally. Oh, he was going to go out with a party. Yes. So in, in a, in a way it's interesting because chocolate makes me think of Scott, but I don't feel sad about it. I feel like, Oh, that's something that I remember that experience because I also don't have very many memories with him because we were not together as long as you and Jason were. And so because I have limited memories, um, I, I won't, I don't want to say I cling to them, but, um, they're burned more in my mind. I'm not like, I must go think about the chocolate because Scott's gone, but I'm like, Oh yeah, that's one of the few things Scott and I got to do together. And I learned from him was how to like taste the chocolate because of course he was like, this one has notes of such and such. So yeah, I, I think of him when I pass the chocolate section, the artisan chocolate section. And that's kind of just a nice little like yeah remember like that was a thing and we did it together that's cool I like that it can be something that you remember fondly as opposed to remember painfully what are all of your experiences with food comment below it's a weird topic and you just need to know that you're not alone whether you're experiencing eating too much sugar or not eating anything or forgetting to eat. So we wanna hear about how your relationship with food has changed after your person died. Yes, and one thing that we learned from our food buddy little experiment is how much it helped 
to have goals with others, just goals like, oh, look, I made something today. Maybe a goal that you can live up to, not one that's totally out of reach. Like I will cook a five course meal for myself. No cedar plank salmon, just, <laughs> just maybe like the salad bar at your local. Yeah. Or yeah. well, unless you're David Kelly, who was also in our food buddy group and he does actually make delicious gourmet things. So yeah. Um, David, Constance, Missy, Katie, Marie, Sunshine, we all were in that small group together. And you were in there too, I think, for yes, a second. I, but I've yeah. Never did anything. But yeah, anybody that was in that group, like we did notice benefits, even though they were small and different for, for everybody. It's just like the widow experience. There are commonalities and differences, but I bet that everybody has experienced some some change in how they um, relate to food after loss. Yes. If you are not in our widow wives club on Facebook, make sure to join because we continue these discussions in there. And there are a lot of people that have similar issues. So join the link is in our bio. If you're on Instagram or it's everywhere on all of our accounts. I'm Anita. I'm Mel. I love all the sugar. And I only eat cheese. <laughs> we're two young widows and we're trying to help you figure out widow what you do now. This is my favorite thing to discuss with you. Tell me, what one, is it? One of my favorite things. I do enjoy tacos and cheese and dogs. This is about how you cannot pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a phone plan, especially when you're a widow, your person is dead, you might have kids, you might need another option, and you just want your phone to work, you want unlimited texting and service, and you want it to be like 25 bucks a month. It blows my mind that they have plans that start at $15 a month. That is so cheap. And the cool thing is, is it uses other 5G networks. And so you don't have to pay extra for that. And you still get great service. Yep. Anita and I have traveled all over and I have used my phone. So I highly recommend it. And my mom's even on it. When my dad died, we put his phone down to the cheapest plan, which is $15 a month. And I think my mom's on the $20 a month plan and it's so worth it. It's so much cheaper than what we were all paying before. So I highly recommend it if you're on a budget or not, who cares? Ryan Reynolds is in charge of the company and they send you free stickers with Ryan Reynolds temporary tattoos. It's kind of the best. So if somebody wants to sign up, what can they do, Anita? Go to trymintmobile.com slash WWDN. Seriously, you guys, such a great idea. Save yourself some money. And if you're worried about losing data or having any changes with your phone, not going to happen. They walk you through it. Everything's fine. It's the easiest process of all time. Again, that's trymintmobile.com slash WWDN.